0: Strong man. The Bible says that after he finally gave up his secret to Delilah, they cut his hair, and when he awoke, he thought he was just going to fight off his enemies as before, but the Bible says he did not know that the Lord had left him. It's a scary thought to consider if the Lord leaves his people because of their wickedness, because of their rebellion. If the Lord leaves his people, we're never going to succeed, we're never going to be blessed in ways that really matter, that really make a difference. In Acts 5, verses 38 and 39, Gamaliel, the wise Jewish teacher, as they were analyzing what to do about this new, new sect called Christianity or called the way or the, the disciples of Jesus, Gamaliel said this, he said, i tell you what we ought to do, Jewish friends. We ought to leave these Christians alone because if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. If man's behind this, if man created this movement of discipleship to Jesus Christ, this isn't going to succeed. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And you might even be found opposing God, Gamaliel said. That's tremendous advice, and it's based on what Gamaliel knew of the Old Testament. Everything depends on God's presence and blessing among His people. If God does not go with us, if God does not bless us and keep us and be gracious to us, if He doesn't do those things, we will never succeed in anything that really matters. And so all this harkens back to Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. If you have your Bible there in your lap, go ahead and open to that passage because this particular lesson is going to focus on these verses. Numbers 6, beginning in verse 22. I'd like to share with you what happens in this particular passage. In Numbers 6, verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Moses, I want you to speak to Aaron and his sons and say to them, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, and the quote is coming. But as you look at that preliminary passage, notice God is giving these words to Moses to give to Aaron and his sons, and Aaron and his sons are to take these words that we're about to read, and they are to speak them and bless the people of Israel. And here is specifically what the blessing entails. Verse 24, The Lord And that is the divine name, if you read it in Hebrew, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then the passage concludes with this phrase, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You know, when a child gets a new toy, the child might sometimes write his name or her name on that toy just so that everybody knows this is my toy. This, it belongs to me. And in, such a, a, in the same kind of sense, God is saying, I want to write my name upon the people of Israel. I want them to be mine. I want them to be blessed by me, and I want them to know that they're blessed by me. And so Aaron and his sons, I want you to continually pray this prayer bless this blessing upon the people in their hearing I want you to say these words to them and this traditionally became a morning blessing from the priests in the tabernacle and later in the temple the priests would stand up and they would loudly and audibly pray from the tabernacle or from the temple again tradition holds this to be true they would loudly proclaim, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they would bless the people of Israel daily. Now let's, let's just look at this particular passage of scripture and see what we can learn from it. About what it means to desire God's presence and desire God's blessing among ourselves. Four principles to consider this morning. In the first place, what I want us to do is consider the characteristics of this particular blessing. Just kind of give you the background of what's happening here. You noticed in verse 22 that the words were given by God Himself. God is the one who instigated this it says something about his heart toward his people it says something about the way he feels about the children of Israel in the Old Testament he loves them he wants to bless them he wants to protect and keep them he wants to be gracious toward them and it's important for people even the church today to remember God's attitude and his posture toward his people he's the one that gave these words to Moses And then Moses took these words and gave them to Aaron and his sons. Secondly, you'll notice that this concerns the people of Israel specifically. You'll find that both in verse 23 and in verse 27, the children of Israel. So this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, this was for the nation corporately. It is for all of God's people that belong to him. God said of Israel that he was going to take them and he was going to separate them as a people unto himself. They're going to be my people, God said, and I want this blessing to be pronounced upon them. And so when we sing this song as a church, we're recognizing that we are spiritual Israel, according to the New Testament, and that this is a blessing that God wants not just for the corporate body of Israel in the Old Testament, but now the fulfillment of that in the New, the New Testament church. It's for people of Israel specifically in its context. A third characteristic of this particular blessing is the setting. The book of Numbers is recording for us the preparation of God's people to leave Mount Sinai. You remember that people of Israel were in Egypt and Moses led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They crossed and they made a beeline toward Mount Sinai. And when they got to Mount Sinai, they stayed there about a year. A lot of times we overlook that in our accounts of the wilderness wanderings, but they went straight from Egypt to Mount Sinai where they camped for about a year while God gave Moses the law and while the people um, built the tabernacle and the various articles and artifacts of the tabernacle. And so as you read the book of Numbers, what they're doing is they're getting ready to go. They're getting ready to start their march from Mount Sinai to the promised land. And it's kind of like when a family's getting ready to go on vacation, you know, dad might be looking over a lot of details, maybe he has a list and he's saying, okay, make sure you remember this, make sure that detail gets taken care of, don't forget to pack this particular item. And, and, and God is doing that with Moses through the book of Numbers. And so you'll find this phrase in Numbers 5 verse 1, 5 verse 5, 5 verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you'll find that phrase over and over all the way through Numbers chapter 10, when they finally leave Mount Sinai. And so this particular section of scripture is a detail that God doesn't want the Israelites to forget. As you get ready to go on your journey, don't forget. The priests are to bless the people and here's what I want them to say. Fourth characteristic it is a prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. It's a prayer. The priests were intercessors. They represented the people to God. And their role was to pray for the people and to make sacrifices and offerings for the people. And so God is saying, this is the prayer I want the priests to pray. You know, sometimes those priests might have gotten kind of frustrated with the wickedness of the people. They might have gotten kind of aggravated with the way that the people were acting. Sometimes the priests themselves didn't do so well. God says, I want this prayer to be continually on your hearts and lips, you priests. I want you to continually pray these things for my people. I also want you to notice that this blessing is a reminder. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That is a reminder. It is something that God didn't just want the priest to pray, but he wanted the people to hear and to remember. And they needed to hear it over and over and over again. I really believe that if you tell somebody something a thousand times, they can never forget it. If you tell a child something a thousand times, good or bad, good or evil, whatever you tell that child a thousand times, it will be ingrained in their hearts and their souls. That doesn't necessarily mean that they'll obey it, but they'll know this is the will of my parent. And so it was with this particular blessing. What kind of God do you serve, O Israel? What kind of God is leading you through the wilderness? He's the kind of God who blesses us and keeps us and is gracious toward us and gives us peace. That's the God that we serve. Well, how do you know that? Because we hear that blessing every single morning. Every time we get up, we hear the priest in the tabernacle praying that prayer for us. Because that's the prayer God wanted them to pray. We notice as well, as you look at Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, notice that this is a poem. It's set in poetic form. There are certain passages in Scripture that God made especially easy to memorize. The Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Passages like, it is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20, verse 35. There are some passages that are just memorable No man can serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24. God made them easy to memorize, and this is one of those passages, especially in the Hebrew language. It is one of the oldest poems in Scripture, and what's really fascinating about it is, it's three lines. The Lord bless you and keep you, line one it is just three Hebrew words, 12 syllables, 15 letters. But watch this, the second line, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That is just five Hebrew words, 14 syllables, 20 letters. And then the third line, the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Seven Hebrew words, 16 syllables, 25 letters. So if you spoke Hebrew, you would see a progression, three words, five words, seven words, 15 letters, 20 letters, 25 letters. The name of God is repeated three times, even though grammatically it doesn't have to be. Grammatically, this could just be a sentence, the Lord, and then all the rest of the blessings come upon, but every line has the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And so the emphasis is upon him and what he's doing, and poetically, The Hebrews, even from the smallest child, from the very time they began to learn how to talk, the Hebrews could teach their children these words so that they were easy to memorize. They're beautiful, and they are something to build your life upon. Notice there are three pairs in this poem. In the first line, the blessing of God and the keeping of God. In the second line, God making His face to shine upon His people and being gracious to them. And in the third line, God lifting His countenance upon His people and giving them peace. Incidentally, in the song that we sing, those last two lines are reversed. Have you ever noticed that? The way the Bible spells out this particular blessing... Making his face to shine upon you and being gracious to you, that comes right in the middle. And the climax, the the final end note of this particular poem has to do with, may God give you shalom, peace. And that's the way the Hebrews would have ended this. But it's been rearranged for musical purposes in the song that we sing. By the way, the Bible rearranges this particular poetic order itself. Check out Psalm 67, verse 1 at some point if you'd like to do a little bit of research. But Psalm 67, verse 1 takes some of these blessings and rearranges them a little bit for the purposes of the author. God wanted his people to remember these words, he wanted these words to be written on their hearts, and he wanted them to know that they were his special people. Those are the characteristics of this particular blessing. Let's look a little bit more carefully this morning at the content of the blessing. What does it mean, the Lord bless you and keep you? Those kinds of things. What does that really, practically mean? Don't forget the setting in which these words were given. The Israelites were slaves just fresh out of Egypt. They had been at Mount Sinai for a year, ready to go to the promised land. They were going to have to endure a wilderness journey. And then after that, they were going to have to conquer the land from their enemies. And this blessing has to be appreciated in that context. Six items, the content of the blessing. In the first place, the words say, may Yahweh, the Lord, bless you. If we receive blessings in this world, where do they originate? Where do they come from? James chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you are blessed in any way in your life, Your blessings come from God. But specifically in the life of Israel, what did they mean by this? Deuteronomy 28, verses 2 through 6 kind of spells out what they thought of when they thought of the Lord blessing them. Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 2, All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, your children, the fruit of the ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flocks. So you'll have children, you'll have flocks and herds, you'll have produce. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out, whether you're in public, whether you're in private. If God is with you, you are blessed and God will continue to bless those who belong to Him. And so when this prayer is prayed, when this reminder is given, the people of God were to think about where their blessings originated. The second phrase, may the Lord keep you. It has to do with security. It has to do with protection after all, what do a bunch of slaves know about warfare? What do a bunch of slaves know about surviving in the wilderness with hundreds of thousands of people for 40 years? How are they going to make it? The only way they're going to make it is if the Lord their God keeps them, protects them, Will read just a few moments ago from Psalm 121. In Psalm 121, later in that same Psalm that he read, verses seven and eight, the Bible says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Who's watching over his people? Who's watching over the church in times when things are difficult and we don't know what's going to happen next? Who's caring for the people of God? God himself. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Third content of the blessing. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Think about that image. The shining of God's face. The book of Revelation talks about how in the New Jerusalem, in the, in the heavenly country, that there's going to be no need for the sun and the moon because the Lamb, God himself, is all of the light that we need. He shines, he radiates. And the idea here is that God is a light in dark places in our lives and that his face shines upon his people. It's as if God is saying, I am smiling upon my people. Smiling with a benevolent look. There was a man who spoke harshly to his dog. You know what dogs do when you speak harshly to them? They cower. They put their tail between their legs. They go and hide under the table. But a little later, the man decided to speak kindly to his dog and to speak with a smile on his face, to let the face of the master shine upon his dog, and the dog started to wag his tail and to become friendly again. May the Lord make his face shine upon you in a benevolent, a friendly type of way. Psalm 31, verse 16, the psalmist prays, Lord, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. I'm in a dark place in my life, and I need the light of God's face. Psalm 80, three times it says this, verse 3, verse 7, verse 19, Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. God's people need to know that his face shines upon those who belong to him. Fourth, May the Lord be gracious to you. We talk a lot about grace, but the word itself just means blessing or favor. Specifically in the Old Testament, grace had to do with things like this, answering prayer. Psalm 4 verse 1, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And so every day those priests were in the tabernacle and they were praying for the people of Israel. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he hear and answer your prayers. And what that did was that reminded the people, I'm supposed to bring my petitions and my cares and my concerns before God. He's the one we depend on. He's the one that can be gracious and answer prayers. He's the one that can save us when we're in distress. In Psalm 6, verse 2, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. When we're in any kind of trouble, in any kind of distress, and especially when we're in the distress of sin, when sin has taken over our lives, we can serve a God who will be gracious to us. He will bless, He will heal, He will restore. Number five, content of the blessing, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. This is a Hebrew expression that means may God pay attention to you. May he turn his ears and his eyes toward you. You know, sometimes if you're, if you're working or something and you're, you're concentrating on what you're doing and somebody over here wants to talk, how do they know you're listening? They know you're listening when you stop what you're doing and you turn your face to look at the person that's visiting with you. I am lifting my countenance upon someone else. I'm paying attention to them. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you. Psalm 4, verse 6, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Pay attention to us. Listen to us. Hear our cries. Psalm 34, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry, the Bible says. So the Hebrews knew that when they cried out to God, that they served a God who wanted to pay attention to them, to hear their pleas and their cries. May the Lord lift His countenance upon you. May He listen to what you have to say, because you care about Him and want to follow His ways. Number six, this is the last expression in the the blessing. May the Lord give you peace. The Hebrew word, as I've said, is shalom. You've probably heard that uh, as you read the Bible and other expressions it's even used today. And the word shalom, peace, it wasn't just the absence of conflict or it wasn't just the absence of war. Shalom had to do with prosperity and well-being and health and especially salvation. To be in a right relationship with God, that is shalom, that's to be at peace. May the Lord restore you to a right relationship with himself. Isaiah 32, verse 17, the prophet wrote, The effect of righteousness will be shalom, peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. When a man's ways please the Lord, he can be at peace. He can know that he is right. He can lay down his head on his pillow at night and he can sleep a peaceful sleep when a man's ways please the Lord, because the Lord gives peace. To those who obey him. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible speaks about the peace that passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God gives peace to his beloved. And so as you look at the content of this blessing, everything God wants to do for his people has to do with blessing and protection and attention and restoration and ultimately, prosperity, well-being, righteousness among His people. That's what God desires. And so as we sing the words of that particular song, Israel meant this as a national blessing. But now the church can appropriate these words for ourselves. Why do you say that, John? Why can the church appropriate these words? Why can we sing these words? If, if they applied to national Israel, and if this was what they sang in the wilderness, or this is what they prayed in the wilderness... Why can we sing them today? The answer to that question is number three in our lesson this morning. Because of Jesus Christ and what He's done. Think about what Jesus came to this world to do. Through Jesus Christ, God is able to bless you. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says that in Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There are no spiritual blessings anywhere except in Christ. If you're in Christ, may the Lord bless you. Second, in Christ, God is able to keep you. He is the God who is able to keep you from stumbling as you humbly and submissively walk in his way. Jude verses 24 and 25. If you're in Christ and you're walking in the light, may the Lord keep you. As you look at this passage, Jesus is able to make God's face shine upon us. God looks at us, looks at his people, with a look of benevolence, of kindness. In Revelation 1, verse 16, when John sees the resurrected Christ in the book of Revelation, it describes him as having feet of burnished brass and eyes like a flame of fire, but it says his countenance was like the appearance of the sun shining in its strength through Jesus God makes his face to shine upon us. Through Jesus, God is able to be gracious to you. He will treat you better than you deserve all the days of your life. John 1.14 says that in Jesus, we see both grace and truth, and he is full to overflowing with those things. Jesus Christ brings the grace of God to sinful men who need it. May the Lord be gracious to you. He does that through Jesus. Notice, may the Lord lift his countenance upon you. May he pay attention to you. And the Hebrews writer must have had this in mind when he wrote Hebrews four sixteen. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Why did he write those words? Because we have a merciful and faithful high priest in Jesus Christ, Hebrews 4, verse 15, who is able to intercede and knows what we're going through. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you. May he pay attention to your words. May he give ear to your plight. May he respond to the difficulties of your way. May the Lord give you peace. Among many other things, Jesus Christ is described as the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6. In Ephesians chapter, two, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and following, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our peace. He has broken down every wall of division, and He has reconciled all of humanity to God in one body. He's our peace. May the Lord give you peace. He does that through Jesus Christ. Why can the church appropriate this song for ourselves? Because we see the fulfillment of Numbers chapter 6 in what Jesus has done for us. God has this posture of mind toward those who are in Christ today. Why do we sing the blessing? Why are we doing this at the end of every service? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why is this the way we've been closing? You know, back in 1900, there was a man, a man named Peter uh, Lutkin, and he lived in Chicago. He was a professor at Northwestern University, and he was an organist in the denomination of which he was a member, so he wrote music a lot. But Mr. Lutkin became really fascinated by a cappella singing. A cappella singing, singing without any kind of instrumental uh, accompaniment. And so, He was so fascinated by this that he he created the very first college chorus that was entirely a cappella in 1900. That was at Northwestern University, and he began to write all kinds of music for a cappella singing, for congregational singing. And one of the hymns that he wrote was the one that we sing, May the Lord Bless You and Keep You. And what he was doing was he was appropriating what the Old Testament said about the New Testament church. He was appropriating that for for the people of God. We can sing this song today as we sing it because of the promises that God has given us in Jesus Christ. A couple of interesting things about the song of note before I get into the the actual, why do we sing this? Again, the last two lines are flip-flopped. May the Lord be gracious to you is the way that the song comes to an end. And then there is the sevenfold amen. And I've heard from many of you, I'm still trying to get a hang of that sevenfold amen. How does that work? How does that, why is that even there? The sevenfold amen was written specifically for an acapella chorus to sing. And what Mr. Lutkin said was basically this. He said, it's like you're putting an exclamation point on everything that's just been spoken, everything that's just been sung. To sing amen once is to say, let it be so. But to sing it seven times, may it always be so. May it be fulfilled. And so even the words amen that you're singing seven times in that last expression, that last phrase, may God be the one who blesses us all the days of our lives. May he be the one who's gracious to us. May he be the one who's lifting his countenance upon us. Why do we sing this song? We believe, number one, in the priesthood of all believers. If the Old Testament Levitical priests were the ones who were supposed to pronounce this blessing upon the Israelites, how much more should the priests of today? Every Christian is a priest to God. How much more should we pronounce this blessing on one another? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, all of us who are in Christ Jesus are a royal priesthood. Second, we believe in the preciousness of the church. The church is not just a social club. It is not just an organization where we meet with people who we like and who think like us. The church was purchased by Jesus himself, Ephesians 5, verse 25. He loved the church and gave himself for it. And we recognize when we pray this prayer, when we sing this song, we recognize something of the preciousness of the church of Christ. The church that Jesus died to save. It is, in a literal sense, spiritual israel romans chapter 6 verses 9 through 8 when people become christians they become part of the heritage of abraham and we recognize there's something precious about the people that assemble in places like this one that belong to god that follow god's will that serve jesus with all their hearts why do we sing the blessing because it's a reminder of our mutual concern and common bond Brethren, there are a lot of things we ought to be concerned about, a lot of people that we ought to care about. We need to think about and love those who are lost. But there is a special bond that cannot be ignored or denied among those who have already been washed in the blood of the Lamb. 1 John 1, verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. 2 Peter 1, verse 1, we are of like precious faith. Galatians six ten, do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. There ought to be a special place in our hearts for the church. And when we sing that song, the Lord bless you and keep you, we're singing that song to all the church, all of God's people everywhere. May God prosper his people, because if he's not with us, just like Samson, all of our ways and our plans will fail. Next, why do we sing the blessing? Because we're like Israel, we are in uncharted territory. Israel was there at Mount Sinai. What's going to come next? They were born slaves in Egypt. They were now out in the wilderness. Where are we going from here? All we know is we're following that cloud by day, that pillar by night. That's where we're going. Wherever he goes, that's where we go. But we are in uncharted territory. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says that Abraham, when God called him, went out not knowing where he was going. I've lived all my life, and I've never known a time in my life when God's people didn't assemble together. Never. I have never been through anything like this, where we would go as as the people of God nine consecutive weeks, where we don't worship together in one place. Has this ever happened in your experience in your life? Ever? We are in uncharted territory. We need to sing the Lord bless you and keep you. Because we know that our steps are being ordered by the, by the Lord. And as we humbly submit to His will, that He's going to be gracious to us and provide for us. We need to sing the song for that reason. We're in uncharted territory. What comes next? Next week, Lord willing, we're going to start assembling here at the building. But there's going to be all kinds of schedule changes, all kinds of things different. Uncharted territory. But we know the God who's going to bless His people. Next, we sing the blessing because we recognize the unchanging nature of God. In Malachi 3, verse 6, at the end of the Old Testament, God said this to people who thought that things had changed and God wasn't the way He used to be. God said, I am the Lord, I do not change. That's the way He left people at the end of the Old Testament. I'm not changing. And the same God who wanted to bless and to provide for and to sustain his people in the Old Testament, physical Israel, is the same God who wants to bless and to sustain and to provide for spiritual Israel in the New Testament. And therefore, we need, engraved in our hearts, if anybody's going to bless us, it's God. If anybody's going to keep us, he's the one that's going to do it. If anybody's going to lift his countenance and shine upon us, it's going to be him. If anybody's going to be gracious to us, God's the one that's going to do that. We're not trusting in our own strength. We're trusting in the God who does not change. That's why we need to sing this song. Maybe you're thinking this morning, you know, John, you've said some things about spiritual Israel and about being a part of the church and about being part of this blessing that the priest pronounced upon the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. How do I become part of spiritual Israel? How do I become a Christian? How do I become a member of the church that Jesus died to save? The Bible's very clear about this question. We need to learn about Jesus and about what, he, what He's done, His finished work. In Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His Son. On behalf of sinful men, He condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of God's law could be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Jesus came to provide salvation for you, and He's the only one that can do that. Put your trust, your faith in Him. The Bible says, repent of your sin. Turn away from the life that you've been living and follow God's way. Confess Christ. 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 and 13, it is the good confession that we make and then be baptized. When we're baptized, we participate in the new birth, we put on Christ, and we become, according to Galatians 3, verse 29, a descendant of Abraham, spiritual Israel. Maybe you need to respond that way. Maybe you want to be baptized. If you have that need, there are some email addresses on the screen. Get in touch with myself, with Jordan, Get in touch with someone from the church here. We would be more than happy to visit with you about these matters more. For the rest of us, for those who are part of the New Testament church, let's sing with renewed zeal, The Lord bless you and keep you. He wants us to remember those words. He wants us to live by those words. Let's sing together.